Yes, we've had a prayer, so uh, we are going to start um, just after we have a, a little pen coming. And so the topic for that I will go through uh, and that we should discuss a little bit about will be about uh, how to prepare for the Sunday Law. And uh, I am going to uh, in divide. This is going to be divided into two sessions. And the first session will be about the spiritual preparation. And the second session will be about the practical preparation. Um, I have to tell you, if you don't want to come to the second session, I have to tell you that the, that, uh, the, the second session is not ex cathedra. So that means uh, uh, this, is, this is some things I have studied and uh, it is some ideas that I, I get from... I think from the Bible and from the spirit of prophecy, but I, I, I really, really encourage you to uh, to look very carefully at what I say, and uh, just not to swallow everything. Okay, that's a good thing to do anyway. Whenever you come to a, uh, someone who says something, and we have had a prayer, as uh, we have said already. So uh, I will just head into the topic. So the first part here will be spiritual, and then uh, the second part will be more the practical preparation. Um, in the first part, uh, and then we have a five minutes break or five, ten minutes break in between. And after the first part here, I will also uh, ask you if you have some questions. And you, if you have questions during the, the presentation, then uh, you, you are always welcome to stop me. And if I get too confused, I will not stop. <laughs> Is that okay? Sometimes I can get a little bit confused. Okay, so the preparation for the sun and all the spiritual parts. And the first thing we want to look at, uh, yeah, that was the, that is uh, the two times of trouble. And uh, you probably know uh, that there is two times of trouble according to the Bible and according to the spiritual process. Have you, have you heard this idea before? Yes, they call it the, uh, let me put it on a timeline. They call it the, the first period, we don't know exactly how long these periods are, but uh, the first period is, uh, is called a little time of trouble. But even though it's called a little time of trouble, it seems to me that this is longer than the, the, the great time of trouble. So this is called, this part is the great time of trouble. Let me just do this. And this is the little. And little in the sense that uh, um, it is not as tough as the last one. Okay. And the, the second coming of Christ is, of course, we believe that will come here uh, at the, fin the termination of the or the finishing of the second, the, 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 the great time of trouble. Second coming. It's room 18. Yeah. yeah. This is room 18, yes. Okay, but when does this start? Do you know this? Let's look at this photo. Oh, you can see it. Okay. Um, so, do you have, do you have any idea when this uh, little time of trouble starts? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, yeah. Maybe around Sunday law. 
with the son-in-law. Yeah, yeah. Good, very good point. Have other ideas? I don't say it's wrong. When we cannot buy and sell. Pardon? When we cannot buy and sell. We cannot buy and sell. Yes, yes, yes. That is uh, also. So, first suggestion, son-in-law. That is SL, that is son-in-law. And second suggestion is when you cannot buy and sell. When can you not buy and sell? Yeah. <laughs> that is after the Sunday. So it's connected here. Okay. Um, yeah, it's actually right. Uh, according to the Bible, it seems that uh, that that this is actually uh, the little time of trouble is starting, uh, especially around here, the Sunday law. So I'll just write S L. And where does the Sunday law start? According to the Bible. What? In the States. In the States? Where in the Bible do you see that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 In Revelation 13. In Revelation 13, yes. And that's the same that you said. Yes. Very good. Okay. <clears throat> when when does the the great time of trouble come? This is room 18. Yeah. Yes, we have something here. Maybe uh, when, um, when uh, the death decree? Yeah, death decree, yes. yes. Five last plagues. The five last plagues. Okay. So, but, so the first two plagues you think is not the time of trouble? Yes, because you're actually hitting very correctly, but you're also close to the same. Uh, according to the Bible, according to the Bible, it's very clear to see that this one starts very clearly here at the beginning of the seven plagues. Okay? So this is when the uh, seven plagues, they begin to fall. And when do they begin to fall? Yes. After the ceiling. After the ceiling. Yeah, that is right. That is right. And uh, the when the door of mercy. Right, right, right. So here, the seven arts starts and the door of mercy is closed. Okay? Yes. Now, we look at some text. Is that okay? Because it's, it's one thing to say things and it's something else to prove it from the Bible. And we will not have time to go into everything because then we'll never get to the spiritual preparation. This is just to give you some skeleton to put this uh, thing, these things. Okay, let's go to the book of Daniel, chapter number 12. Or oh, actually, first we first go to Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7. Let's go to that one. Now, actually, I have not prepared to just look at Acts, but let's try to find it anyway. You know Acts, chapter 7, what this is about? Do you have any guess? Acts chapter 7? Yes, yes. This is the fence of, of uh, Stephen. You remember that? And uh, do you remember how it finishes? He dies. Yeah, he's being stoned to death. Let's look at it in verse 51. Uh, and it says here, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised. Can, can I close the door now, you think? The door of mercy. The door of mercy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Small. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We had 54 in uh, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your father did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, and that is Jesus, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And then you know they get all very angry at him. And then it says in verse 55, but Stephen being full of the Holy Ghost. You understand this? When the Bible says he is full of the Holy Ghost, we must expect something special. Okay, and just after this he says, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And what did Jesus do? He was standing on the right hand of God. Okay? Listen very carefully to this. Okay? So, uh, underline this in your Bible because you're going to see what this means. This has a special meaning. Okay, let's go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And to you who have come a uh, little later, uh, we have uh, have a prayer, and uh, we have just uh, tried to find out that, that there are two uh, times of trouble according to the Bible, the little time of trouble, and then the great time of trouble, and then we have found out that the great time of trouble starts as, uh, as the door of mercy closes. And I just wanted to show a, a few scriptures to show this. And uh, we have now been at Acts chapter 7, and now we're going to Daniel chapter 12. Okay? Daniel chapter 12, verse number 1. Are you there? Say, Amen. Okay. And if not, you say, have mercy. Isn't that what they say, the big preachers? Okay. So we're just copying here. <clears throat> and it says here in verse 1, And at the time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which stands for the children of the, your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Do you see this point? It's very clear from the Bible that this is the great time of trouble that he's describing. Can you all see this? He says it shall be a, a time of trouble that has never been before. So it must be the great time of trouble. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> and uh, and it says here that what does Jesus? He stands. The same as in uh, Acts of the Apostles chapter 7. And this situation in Acts of the Apostles chapter 7, do you know why Jesus he stands up? Yes? The end of the 70 it is the end of the 70 weeks. And that means it is the end of the Jewish people as God's special people. So it was a kind of door of mercy, not for all the Jews, but as a people. You understand that? And you see exactly the same thing. Jesus, he stands up. That means that the door of mercy is closed. Not for God's people, but for the, all the world. Do you, you understand this point? And therefore we know from this text that uh, the last great time of trouble, that is the terrible one, is going to happen uh, here as the door of mercy closes. Did you all get this point? Uh, the, uh, it's Acts chapter 7 and we start to read from verse 41 
but it's especially 35, 45, uh, five, five, sorry, 51, and then 55 is especially the, the point where it says that he stands up. It's nowhere he says, he's, I, I, I saw Jesus in the heavenly standing at the side of the Father. Okay, and it says he was full of the Holy Ghost. Yes, you had a question. No, just a comment, because Jesus said that he was going to his Father and he was to sit with his, on his right hand. Yes, and you find that in Daniel chapter 7, uh, the judgment, Jesus, he sits at the judgment. Okay, so whenever there's judgment, there's still time for mercy. When Jesus, he stands, no time for mercy anymore. Okay, this this is the principle of Chronicles. There are other ways you can show that uh, that the great time of trouble starts here, but I just wanted to, to show a little easy one for you. So, sorry. Yes. Um, okay. What is this? Yeah, let me just uh, read this for you. I have a lot of long quotations. Um, because Ellen White, she says exactly the same thing here. Let's just read it. Uh, this is on page 33 of early writing. Uh, it's giving the following. At the commencement of the time of trouble, we were filled with the Holy Ghost as we went forth and proclaimed the Sabbath more fully. This view was given in 1847 when there were but very few of the Advent brethren observing the Sabbath. And those, uh, and of those, but few suppose that its observance was of sufficient importance to draw a line between the people of God and unbelievers. <clears throat> now the fulfillment of that view is beginning to be seen, Ellen White says. And then she says, the commencement of that time of trouble here mentioned does not refer to the time when the plagues shall begin to be poured out, but to a short period just before they are poured out while Christ is in the sanctuary. So can you see, she's describing the little time of trouble. Can you see that? And she says, this is not the big time of trouble. This is another time of trouble that comes before this big time of trouble. Do you understand? Yeah. So so it is Ellen White actually that, that puts this up like this. And we can also, of course, see it according to the Bible. Okay, yes? Question. So the Torah says page thirty-three, and on the bottom it says. 25. Yeah, yeah. This is because uh, this is in thirty-three that she has this quote here, and then in the uh, page, uh, sorry, not verse thirty-three. I mean page thirty-three, and then on uh, page eighty-five, eighty-six, she clarifies what she has said there on thirty-three. Hmm. <coughs> okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. Why she use the commencement of the time of trouble? We were. Ellen White. Yes. We were. Yes. Does it mean that the time is already begun? No. Uh, you know, Ellen White, she also writes herself as being part of the 144,000 that uh, that's comes with Christ and she goes together with Christ to heaven. So I think it was not God's plan that we should stay here for such a long time. I, I just, I think this is, uh, you know, not, you don't know anything about checkbooks. I'm so old, so I know about checkbooks. The Americans, maybe they know a little about them still, but you know, this this uh, this this world is you know way overdue. To, though there are no uh, no coverage on the checkbook anymore. Can you understand that? So we should have been in heaven long time ago. So that we are here is just God's grace. Hello. Yes. So I just wanted to show you that Ellen White she she of course agrees totally with what the Bible says. Okay. So that's for the first. But let's get to the spiritual part. Let I will jump a little bit here, and. Um, uh, let's look a little bit about the spiritual preparation. This is what I'm going to tell about this first uh, 35 minutes. 
by the way, can someone time me and, and tell me when the, the time is over? Uh, oh, maybe I can see it here. It's already gone. I can see it here. So we have to speed up like lightning speed. Yeah, I will just go as far as possible because the 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 the, the spiritual uh, preparation is the most important. I must say that. Look what it says here in Second Peter chapter three, verse eleven to twelve. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, because he is describing the second coming of Christ and the time just before the second coming of Christ, how all these crazy earthquakes and crazy things are happening. And then it says, What manner of persons ought you not to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligence that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless can you see that he is focusing on the spiritual part can you see that he said we should be out spots and blameless and we should be found in him that is in jesus christ so so and he says uh, what man on persons ought you not to be in holy uh, when it says conversation uh, this is the king james version that actually means conduct okay so that means that the, the closer we come to the second coming of Christ, the more holy should our conduct be, according to, to Peter. Now, I don't know why it makes crazy here. Okay. Okay. Uh, I wanted to show you this quote. Um... Uh, that's speaking about this preparation that is very important. Uh, it says here, Satan leads many to believe that God will overlook their unfaithfulness in the minor affairs of life. But the Lord shows in his dealings with Jacob, uh, you know this Jacob from the Old Testament, that he will in no wise sanction or tolerate evil. Du må få hele slideshow bagefter. Så jeg kan bare sende til dig. Yes, anyone, if they want, uh, they don't have to take these uh, copies of this one. Uh, they can just uh, get the slideshow afterward. But I don't have everything what I say. So, so I'm sorry. Let me continue. All who endeavor to excuse or conceal their sins and permit them to remain upon the books of heaven, unconfessed and unforgiven, will be overcome by Satan. Isn't that interesting? If we have sins that are not confessed, then we will be overcome by Satan. I think it's horrifying. Pardon? Horrifying. It's horrifying, but it's interesting also. The more exalted their profession and the more honorable the position which they hold, the more great grievous is their cause in the sight of God, and the more sure the triumph of the great adversary, that is Satan. Those who delay a preparation for the day of God cannot obtain it in the time of trouble. Or at any subsequent time, the case of all such is hopeless. Can you see it's a good idea to come to a seminar like this? Because if we cannot prepare later, it's very smart to go to a seminar where you learn how to be prepared. And that, that is the goal of the seminar. That's why I speed up. Always when I'm at home, I go through the things and it takes me 10 minutes and I think, I have too little. And when I come, it takes me 20 minutes just to take what took me two minutes at home. I don't know why this is so. And then, uh, yeah, she just continues with uh, some horrifying quotes here. Um, 
I don't want to scare you to death. So, so let's get on to this, to what to do. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't have to read many uh, pages of the Great Controversy, and you put it aside, and you have, you know, it's like this. Of course, if you're holy like you are, you don't have this. Like, but but like me and Kenneth, who have, who are old men, you know, we we, we know that uh, it's not so easy. So, so I just want to to give you the secret. What I think is the secret of the power of the gospel, okay? Because this is important to not um, to know, uh, not to know, but to know and and to practice. And um, and please tell me if you do not understand. And I tell you, you know, this is a picture of uh, the one at the bottom. Can you see who that is? Yeah, the top one is Staupitz. That's right. The bottom one is Martin Luther, yes. Okay. And he was the leader of, uh, of uh, the vicar general uh, for the uh, monks that uh, Luther belonged to. And Luther very quickly was a very outstanding monk. What was that? Okay, so it was not some kind of, you know, <laughs> like that. Okay. Okay, but anyway, this is Martin Luther, and he had big, big problems. You know, he didn't feel holy enough. He uh, he felt that he he had so many things he wanted to to do away with, and he did just didn't handle it and he he promised again and again and again to do what was right and he he didn't handle it he 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 always fell back and i i don't know if you have sometimes experienced this that you have made the resolution now it's new year okay you make a resolution that from now on i will wake up at this time always and i will study my bible or i will pray to god or something like this you know or you make resolutions from now on, I'm never going to watch uh, this on the television anymore or on the internet anymore. And then uh, it goes for a long time, and then suddenly, you know, Just the devil you. made you do it, you know. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's not experience of many of us, unfortunately. And uh, this was Luther's experience. And he says, I cannot go to heaven, to a holy heaven, if I have that kind of experience. So uh, Staupitz, he told him, what to do. And I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to read uh, from a, a historic book. <laughs> Can you see I love quotes? <laughs> and so I'm going to skip the long first part. The first part, uh, I'm just going to, to, to tell you what, what is happening. He's sitting there, Luther, and he's, he doesn't eat the, the food because he doesn't feel holy enough. And so stop it. He says, Luther, come on, what's your problem? Why are you so hard on yourself, and then he says, "Yeah, no, no, no. He he, he cannot uh, handle this, and he's not." Uh, and he opened his heart to Staupitz, and he was the first that he opened his heart to. And Staupitz, he has found Christ, and he has found out how to have salvation in Jesus Christ. I tell you, if you in any way look at yourself, you will always feel unsaved. But if you look at Christ, like like Staupitz, he taught him to do. He says. Luther, don't look at yourself. And I would really love to read it for you because it's it's so beautiful. And you will you will also just when I read it now, I, I'm sure you're going to be blessed by it. 
So you said, okay, I just sit down and read it for you. <laughs> just the, the, the most important part. Um, he, he first uh, speaks about how he has made many promises in the law. Um, let me start from here. It is vain, in vain, said Luther's despondently to Staupitz, that I make promises to God, sin is ever the strongest. And this is the experience of all of us. Oh, my friend, replied the vicar general, looking back on his own experience, more than a thousand times have I sworn to our holy God to live piously and have never kept my vows. Now I swear no longer, for I know I cannot keep my solemn promises. Can you see? That's a genius, liberal way to do it. He just stops promising. That's not the way, guys. <laughs> and that's not his point. You see, but he stops promising something to God because he in himself cannot. But when he keeps his eye away from himself on Jesus Christ, this is the breakthrough for him. Okay, where was I? Uh, if God will not be merciful towards me for the love of Christ and grant me a happy departure when I must quit this world, I shall never, with the aid of all my vows and all my good works, stand before him. I must perish. The young monk, that is Luther, is terrified at the thought of divine justice. He lays open all his fears to the vicar general. He is alarmed at the unspeakable holiness of God and his sovereign majesty. Who may be abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? You know, this is what is going to happen to us. We're going to see Jesus coming in the, in the clouds of heaven and all the holy angels. And then we're going to say, <gasps> can you see that? That's exactly what, so Luther, he was a very clever guy. Um, Staupitz resumes, he knows where he found peace and he will point it out to the young man. Why, said he, do you torment yourself with all these speculations and these high thoughts? Look at the wounds of Jesus Christ to the blood that he has shed for you. It is there that the grace of God will appear to you. Instead of torturing yourself on account of your sins, Throw yourself into the Redeemer's arms. Trust in Him, not in yourself. In the righteousness of His life. In the atonement of His death. Do not shrink back. That means don't go back to your old uh, ideas. God is not angry with you. It is you who are angry with God. Let me just stop here. That is your problem. And that is my problem. We are actually angry with God. We do not love God. You know, when you are angry with someone, you do not love a person as you should. And when we do not love a person as we should, how can we, how can we be saved? The, the Bible says, if you love God, keep His commandments. Isn't that how it says? If you do not love God, can you keep His commandments? So the first thing to do is to learn how to love God. And can you see that He, he tells Luther this? And then he goes on. Uh, oh no, where? Uh, listen to the Son of God. He became man to give you the assurance of divine favor. He says to you, you are my sheep. You hear my voice. No man shall pluck you out of my hand. But Luther does not find in himself the repentance which he thinks necessary for salvation. 
let me just stop here. Repentance. Do we have to repent? Okay. Where does repentance come from according to the Bible? From the Lord. Okay. This Luther did not understand. Many Adventists, they do not understand it. How to repent. And and Starbucks, he tells here the secret how to repent. So listen carefully. He replies, as it is the usual answer of distressed and timid minds, that's uh, the people who are unconverted, how can I dare believe in the favor of God so long as there is no real conversion in me? I must be changed before I will be accept, uh, he will accept me. His venerable guide, that is Staupitz, shows him that there can be no real conversion so long as man fears God as a severe judge. Did you know that? You can never be converted. And I can never be converted as long as I fear God as a, as a judge. Do you understand this? And we all fear God. That's our problem. In in this way, but not in it. Yeah, very good. Anyone meet a translation here? Then they have to leave the room. I'm sorry. <laughs> because I cannot translate in the meeting or sorry. <clears throat> okay, um I always lose the thing here. But anyway. Yeah, here it is. What will you say then, asked uh, Luther to so many consciences to which their thousand insupportable tasks are prescribed in order that they may gain heaven. And then he says, what can I do? I have so many things I have to do. Then he says, then he hears this reply of the vicar general, or rather he does not believe that it comes from man. It seems to him like a voice from heaven. And he says, there is no real repentance except that which begins with the love of God and of his righteousness. So you have to love God and you have to love his righteousness. What other imagine to be the end and accomplishment of repentance is on the contrary only its beginning. In order that you may be filled with the love of God, love for God, okay, in order that you may be filled with the love for God. If you desire to be converted, do not be curious about all these mortifications and all these tortures. Love him who first loves you. Where does this say that in the Bible? Pardon? First John. First John. Okay, let's go to First John. This is a core text for Seventh-day Adventist youth. And I tell you, you have to memorize this text. First John chapter 4, and you look at verse number 19. Where does the Bible, what does the Bible say? We love him because he first loved us. Can you see from this text that it is impossible for you to have this agape love in your life, life if you do not understand that God loves you with agape love? Do you understand this? Can all see this? So it is impossible for you to love unless you understand that Christ he loves. Okay? Secondly, you will only be able to love as much as you understand God loves you. Can you see this in the text also? So if you love God this much, you will be able to love him back this much. If you understand that God loves you so much, you will be able to understand to love him so much. Now, let me tell you, or ask you, how much does God love you? From the east to the west. From the east to the west. Okay. Does Lord, God love you unconditional? So there's no condition. Are you sure about this? 
How can you prove that from the Bible? Yes. Because Jesus died before we, before, before we, even while we are still sinners. Yes. The Bible says, what do we have to do? Should we love our enemies? Can you see, should we love them on a condition? No. We should love them unconditionally. And as we should love, we have to look and, and learn this from God. Can you see that? So therefore, if we have to love unconditional, that means that God loves you unconditional. And this you have to have in your mind all the time. If you do not have this, you will never be able to be prepared for the end time. And it was when our pioneers understood this in 1888, because this is what I'm telling you about. Uh, the, it was when they understood this point that they had the breakthrough. You understand? This is when they started to really change their lives totally. Because before that, they, they, they looked, I have to be a vegan. Oh, I have not eaten like this today. I tell you, Adventists, they are crazy about eating. And that's why Ellen White, she says that God, he, he gave this uh, message about the health message so late. He waited many, many, many years because he wanted to understand this is not the most important thing. But for many Adventists today, some of us, it is the most important thing. You know that? And it is not. Okay, let's go on. Um, yeah, I would like you to turn, even though I have this text here in the, Bi in the Bible, I would like you to turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter number uh, 4. This is a core text about the gospel in the New Testament. Second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter number 4. And uh, we will start by reading verse 3 and 4. I have it here on the board also, but uh, yeah, so you can have it later. Um, but I just want you to see it with your own eyes. The Bible says, But if our gospel be hit, it is hit to them that are lost. Can you tell me from this one text, this one verse, who will be hit? So, sorry, 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 sorry. Who will be lost? Sorry. Those that don't see the gospel. Can you see that from the text? It's very clear, isn't it? If if the if the gospel is hit for you, you will be lost. If the gospel is not hit for you, what will happen to you? You will be saved 100%. Isn't that a good news? I think that's very good news. So that means that every person in the whole world can be saved if just the gospel is not hit for them. Do you understand that? So if you can explain the gospel to someone, they will be saved. And if they understand, of course, you understand? So, so this is a core text. And look what it says in the next verse. In whom the God of this world. Who is this? Who is the God of this world? Satan. Okay. Okay, so this is Satan. So in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Can you see? What is uh, Satan? Does he know that if you see the gospel, you will be saved? Does Satan see that? I think so. He sees it. Okay. So what does he do? He tries to blind all of us, That's so we do not see the gospel, and so do we are lost. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. And why do you think it doesn't say Satan? What does he say? The, 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 the what does he say? The God of this world. Yeah. Everything that's in the world. Can you see? Internet, temptation, women. He is using the things of this world in order to help us to be blinded so that we will not see the gospel so that we will be lost. 
Isn't that amazing? I tell you, many, many Adventists, they're going to be lost because they do not see the gospel. And especially among the conservatives. Isn't that terrible? Especially among those who really believe in our 28 beliefs that they will be lost because they overlook the whole gospel. This is what gave the breakthrough in Luther's life. As long as you look away from yourself and you look to Jesus, you will be saved. Look at the gospel. Continue. Do this every day. I tell you many times, I, I, I'm living in the countryside and I'm walking down the when I have some fresh air, you know, in, in the western part of Denmark, it's, it's going like this. So, so you walk down and you have to have something to think about, otherwise the thoughts are flown out of your head on the way. So, so but I, I, I walk down the, the, the long road there, rubber road, and I praise the Lord for the gospel. And I praise the Lord that all my sins are forgiven. You have to do this again and again. You have to do this every day. And the first thing you do in the morning is say, thank you, Jesus, for another day that I am saved in your blood. Mm. Isn't that wonderful to do it? You know, how do you, do you think I have a temptation to, to maybe go and, and have a little cigarette behind a tree so my wife cannot see it? Do you think I have any temptation when I go and think like this? It's impossible. When you have the gospel in front of your eyes, it's impossible to have any temptation. Do you think I would like to look at something on the internet? <laughs> no, I would not like to do that. When you have the gospel, it is so fulfilling like anything else. And when you have this gospel, you just have to tell it to someone. You, you, you know, oh, this man, he's blind. He doesn't have the body. I got to get it to him. Do you see this? Okay. Let's uh, go now to the, the next part. Let's go to the old man. Because this is the big problem for many. It was the problem for Paul also. For many years I thought uh, Romans 7 this was the the unconverted Paul. But I believe it was the converted Paul who had a problem. Okay? This is new thing. Are you ready? Romans chapter 7. You see, in Romans chapter 7 uh, you know, uh, when you have the first part of Romans, you have the description of the gospel, how you are saved by grace and all these things, wonderful things that you have to concentrate on every single day from now on and also in the evening before you go to bed and during the day. And uh, and now you come to Romans 7. So you suddenly see that Paul, he says, he really wants to do what is right, but he cannot do it. Can, can you see, What is he fighting? His ego. His ego, yes, that's right. What do we call that also in another word? Self. Self, yes, yes, that's the same as ego. <laughs> Old the old man, our sinful flesh. flesh. Okay. Okay. Would you like to have a recipe how to get rid of the sinful flesh? Yeah. <laughs> like to have a recipe? <laughs> but you know, it, it's very easy to read the recipe, but it's something else to to do it. You know, sometimes you may re, uh, you, you may follow a recipe, and it it tastes much more different than than you know when they do it in the kitchen. <laughs> Have you tried to do that? Yes. No. Yeah, it's, it's very different sometimes. <laughs> yes, that's no. <laughs> <laughs> the professional, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so Romans 7 is describing how you get rid of the sinful nature. You ready? We go from verse 1. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Do you know the law? Can you see Paul is speaking to you? He's speaking to... Uh, Seventh-day Adventists who believe in Christ and who know it's in the law. Okay. 
how that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. Is that true? As long as you live, you have to keep the law. When you die, do you have to keep the law? No. Why not? Is he talking about the law, like the Ten Commandments? It's the, the Ten Commandments. All the whole Torah, all the descriptions. This is the Ten Commandments. All the Ten Commandments. Yeah, this is the Ten Commandments. Also, it's a whole thing, of course, but it's also the Ten Commandments. But do you, do you understand this point? That uh, when you are dead, you are dead. Dead men don't sing so much, sin so much. Uh, the Bible says, verse 2, For the woman which has an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband is dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. Can you see that he comes with now a, a little um, illustration? He says, let me illustrate this for you. There is here a woman and she is married to a man. And as long as this man is alive, she cannot be married to the neighbor. Okay? So the law, is that binding or is it not binding? Okay, okay. If this man dies, can she then marry the neighbor? Yeah, as long as he's not married. You know? Okay, remember that. Okay, she can marry the neighbor. And uh, is she then bound to the neighbor? So you see the law is still binding. Have you seen that? You know, many people, they use chapter 7 to show that the law is not binding. But it's crazy. Because it shows they're created. Yes? So you mean the law, the law gives no freedom? Uh, yeah, let, let, let me explain what, what uh, Jesus he says. Because that's a good question. Okay, look what it says. Verse 3. So then if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, the neighbor, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Can you see that? It's true. She's bound as long as he is alive. When he's dead, hallelujah. Then you can go to the other man. And if she goes to the other man while he's alive, she is a, an adulteress. Verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Who is this we want to be married to? How do you know this Christ? Pardon? In the same verse. What does it say that he makes you? He that is raised. So it's very clear. Okay, let me write this for you. Here you have the first husband. <coughs> let me make some evil eyes here. He's a sour husband. And here you have the wife. Okay, I'm happy they, they can only hear the rest. Calling and not see the joint. Oh, sorry, this was on the wife. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> and uh, this husband here, she is bound to him. When he dies, then she can go to the neighbor. And the neighbor is Jesus Christ. He's a nice husband. Okay. Who of these three are you? Who of these three are you? Is a picture of you. The woman. So even you are a man, you are a woman now. I'm sorry about this. <laughs> so a few moments with France. Okay? Is that okay? Yes, it's so popular these days anyway. It's very popular. Yeah. <laughs> even come, you can say it even came into ASI now. So we are all trans now. Okay, uh, so we are we are the we are the woman here. Okay? 
And the, who is this one? It's called the old man. Who is this? Sinful nature. The sinful nature. Okay. <clears throat> By the way, it's already 35 minutes. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Okay, may, can I finish this and then uh, and then we uh, we make the other one shorter maybe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is the sinful nature. Uh, you know, the sinful nature has one problem. It's connected to you. If the sinful nature of you die, what also has to happen to you? You have to die. Okay. The only way you can get rid of this guy here, this this uh, this relationship, and come to this relationship, is if this one dies. But if, if this one dies, <laughs> you are also dead. That's not so smart, is it? So how to fix this? The Bible says so. Romans chapter 6. Let's go and have a look. Romans chapter 6. And verse number 6. Men bare et spørgsmål, du skal ikke du fortsætte til halv seks? Jo, det kan ske skære højst. Ja, okay, then we... Det er 10 nu. Ja. in verse 6. This is speaking about the death of the Christian. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That means with who? With who? With Christ. Okay, so already before this man is dead... We have always been flirting with this, but we have not. No adultery. We've had our eyes, you know. We've... And uh, do you understand this? That you have always been looking at this guy here, over here, and seen you want actually to have him. But uh, somehow we have to, so you tell him, uh, I, we have to get rid of him first. Okay? So, <laughs> so that's true. It's a bad guy, this one. You know, he's the head of the family, by the way. And I tell you, he's the special head of the family. When you come together with him, he's not so strong a head as... He's still the head of the family, but it's something you like to be the head of the family. Not this one. Um, let's go to verse 6 and see the rest of this. Knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that from now on we should not serve sin. Ha <laughs> ha! So, you see, when we are crucified together with Christ, This man is destroyed. What does the Bible say in your Bible? Does it say destroyed? destroyed. Okay. What well, can I hear all the do you have, do someone have a, a English no, 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 a Norwegian or Danish or something? Crucified. Yeah, yeah, it's crucified, but the body of sin is done away with. Okay, okay. Till in the God. Okay, Mr. Sinmark. Okay, sorry, let me translate. You see, your experience as a Christian is that when you become a Christian, that the old nature is destroyed? Is that your experience? No. No. Okay, so I, I could not understand. I always, the King James is always right, and always the Danish is wrong. Nearly. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can say that in America, but not here. Um, so I was very puzzled about this. Why? How come that it seems that uh, it says destroyed in the uh, in the King James, but it says that the sinful nature will only lose its power? What is your experience? 
When you truly become Christian, does the sinful nature lose its power? Yes. yes. Is that true? Yes. You, you, you take my... Uh, this is like David Ezra thing. You know, you, you have me walking down the road. You know, It has totally lost its power when you go and praise the Lord for the forgiveness of Jesus. Is that true? Yeah. It loses totally its power. But it's not dead. It's not destroyed. It can come to life any moment. Okay? So you have to watch and pray. You understand this? Yeah. Now... How do you, when do you die? How do you die together with Jesus? Can you explain this to me? So, so, uh, uh, so uh, we are dead from what we found it on us, like that we tjener in ondens nye væsen, ikke en bogstavets gamle væsen. Yes, where was this from? Yeah, from verse... Okay, from chapter 6, verse 6, about verse 6. Yeah, verse 6, yeah. Okay, yes. Yes, yes. Okay, but uh, I just want to come back to this question. What moment do you die? How do you die as a Christian? Yeah, no, not as a Christian, but as a human being. Who is first now? We take the ladies first, that's okay. When you surrender to Christ. When you surrender to Christ, okay. Yeah, good, yes? Uh, according to verse 4. According to verse 4. Yeah. Romans 6, 4. Yeah. Okay, do you have it in English or? Yeah. Yeah, Maybe I read it, yeah. Through the baptism. Through the baptism. Okay. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, like uh, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Okay, this means, Alphonse, if some of you children who are above 12, of age, 12 years of age, if they die and they are not baptized, what will happen with them? If they die in a traffic accident or something like this. Jesus said they are mine. The children are mine, Jesus said. Yeah, that's right. But if they are about 12 or about 12, 20 or something like that. Did you understand the point is, if, if this is a sacrament, you know, for the Catholics, this is a sacrament. That means that they think that in the act itself, there is a salvation. But we do not believe in this. We believe there's another point when we die. And what is this point? I need to know it from you. you. You don't know this? That means you're all alive? There is a point. Try to think back. When was it that I really died from, I, from my life? From my old life? When was my baptism? Yeah, it was a baptism, but it was probably before the baptism. It was the surrender? Okay. So when you surrender, what, what makes you surrender? Conversion. <coughs> Conversion, yes. Yes. The love of Christ, yes, yeah, this is right. Okay, let me show you the, the point. Because uh, it's important to understand exactly the point, yes? Deny yourself. When you deny yourself, yeah. yeah. Can you do that in your own power? No. No. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Yes, he's a new creature. But that's after you're dead already. Can you see that? Let's go to... Um, ah, now I just came out of the text. What's this in my mind? No, yes, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We go to John chapter 3. I, I just want to repeat before we read the text. You know this text in John chapter 3. Can you all see that it is impossible for us to not get rid of our sinful nature unless we have this death experience? Okay, can you all see this? And it is impossible for us to be married to another man 
as if we do not have this death experience. Do you all see this? So this is imperative for us all the time. Okay? And therefore we need to find out what it is it that triggers this death. Of course, if I would have given you a gun, Magnum 44, and I'd say, how will you kill yourself? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you will all know you have to pull the trigger. Understand? So you will not say you have to surrender to pull the trigger. You will say you have to pull the trigger, actually, in order to kill yourself. Do you understand this? So, so in the Bible it says there is a trigger. And this trigger you have here in John chapter number 3. Uh, Nicodemus, he was speaking with Christ about being born again. And uh, then he asked this question, how can these things be? And Jesus, he said, what? Oh, yes. This is uh, verse 9. But I'm just uh, speaking about the story and then I come to the verse. He said, how can this be? And then Jesus says, are you a master and you don't know this? And then he comes with the answer. And he says the following. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, for God so loved the world, blah, blah, blah. Do you understand the point? When was the moment the Israelites were healed? When they have been beaten by snakes. Yes. When they looked and believed. Can you see that? So what is it what we have to look at and believe in? The forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Can you all see this? The moment you believe that Jesus died for your sins, in this moment you really believe this, you are dead. You will die if you believe in it. If you do not believe that he has forgiven your sins, you are way awake and not dead. So, so can you all see this? We had to die daily, the Bible says, that we had to do this again and again to look at, uh, at the cross and at Jesus and believe that he can forgive all your sins. And if you do this, you die. But it's, you, you don't actually die. You, you know, it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, how it works. Galatians 2, 20. It says here, I am crucified with Christ. This is I. You're crucified with this guy. Nevertheless, I live. You know, even though you're crucified with Christ, you are still alive. Isn't that true? Okay, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's not you who live anymore. You are not the one that decides over your life. It is Christ that is the husband. He is the head in the family. That's why the devil wants to destroy this whole business about women's ordination and all these things. You understand that? Because if you if you have equality in the marriage, then you also have equality here. Then you can say as much as Christ can say. And th that doesn't work, I tell you. Okay. Uh, it says, Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you see, this is exactly explaining this death thing for us. But uh, remember this one point. When you believe that Jesus 
died for your sin. The moment you believe that what the Bible says about Jesus dying for your sins, when you believe in that moment, you die. <coughs> your old man will die and you can marry Jesus. Amen. Yes. Let's have a break. Let's, uh, you want 10 minutes now since I have talked so long, so long time? Yeah. Yeah. We say five, five minutes. Okay. Yes. Do you have any questions? Yes. To kind of summarize in one phrase, could you say to prepare for the final test is to look to Jesus and grow closer to him? Or how would you? I, I, I believe that, that to be prepared spiritually is to see the gospel, to, have, to take away this blindness from your eye so you see the gospel. This, this is the whole thing. Because if you see the gospel, you will have the whole package. Uh, it, is, it is like this. When you understand the gospel, you will just want more of it, and more of it, and more of it. That's how it is. It's like a drug. I'm sorry. It's uh, contagious, or what do you call it? Addictive. That's why. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if this is good enough for you, but that, that's, that's the most important thing. I think. Okay, more questions? No. I know this was very basic, but uh, I think still it is important for us to, to, uh, to go through this again and again. Now, again, as I said, the second part is more to the practical part of um, how to prepare for the, the Sunday law. And uh, I, I just have to say that uh, I am known to be a very speculative guy. So I just had to give you all these uh, disclaimers so that uh, you go from here with big uh, um, question marks. <laughs> yes. And uh, because uh, I, don't want to, I don't want you to think that I say something crazy and uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you may think that I say something crazy. That's, that's how it is. When you go to the book of Revelation... Uh, and um, now I can see how quickly this watch is going. So therefore, I, I just give you the text and I can send you all the, the, the PowerPoint afterwards. Um, but when you go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 14 to 16, it there speaks about the group that comes out of the big time of trouble. And it says here <laughs> in these verses that this group will not hunger anymore, will not thirst anymore, and the heat will not sting it anymore. So very clearly that the group that comes right out of the great time of trouble, that is the last time of trouble here, that they will experience hunger, thirst, and the scorching of the sun at least. That's what we can see. So that we will be touched by the, the plagues, that is for sure. So, so I, I just don't want to tell you that, that uh, we can prepare in a way that will not be touched at all. But I still think you will see that both the Bible and Ellen White seems to tell that there will be two groups of Adventists at the end. And both of them are going to be saved. <coughs> but they're just going to be saved in two different uh, situations, as far as I can see. So that's why I, 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 I'm really sorry that this has to be recorded. But anyway. You mean two groups of Christians? Pardon? You mean two groups of Christians? Two groups of Adventists. Right. Yeah, yeah we are all going to be Adventists here after the door of mercy. Okay. Yeah, that, that, is, that is according to the Bible. That you are either, have you taken the mark of the beasts and then you will be hit by the plagues or you have not taken the mark of the beast and then of course you are a kind of Adventist. You keep the seven and you, you, uh, you believe in the second coming of Christ. Okay, in this sense. 
So we believe that before this time, of course, there are very faithful people everywhere, but that's why they have to be called out of Babylon. Because at that time, it's there's only those who uh, believe in the Sabbath and believe in the second coming of Christ, they'll be saved. Uh, and so, uh, according to the Bible, it's, it's, it's pretty clear for that, that when we come to this time here, there are two groups of Adventists. And that they had two different experiences in the time of trouble. And I, I, I think I would like to be in the one group. And, uh, and that's why I want to prepare you to be in this one group that I, I'm actually preferring to be. Okay? So, but you will understand more as we get along. So now you get really, I hope you do not get frightened. When you go to Revelation chapter uh, 12, verse 6 and 14, you know, we have this uh, period of the 1260 day period. You know, we believe as Adventists that the papacy should have a new power period. Okay? And we believe that it has it will not only have power in over Europe, but the whole world. So there will be no country in the whole world, world where you'll be able to flee to. There were countries always you could flee to before, but it will not be like this in the future. Do, do you, okay, you have a question? Uh, I just heard of a quote of a white Amethyst which really exists, but somebody said that actually the, um, the death penalty will be in all the world except Australia. I'm not sure if this really... Do you, do you know if this? No, I, I, I have heard uh, quite a lot of these apocryphics, but uh, <laughs> when, when you... Uh, <laughs> When you ask them for the quotes and you see the quote, you can see either it's, it's a fake one from Trump or something like that. <laughs> okay, so so the reason why I refer to uh, Revelation 12, 6 and, and, uh, and 14 is because these are the two verses that speak about what will happen to God's people in this period, how they will flee into the mountains. So I tell you, many of the same things will happen to us. We will have to flee for our lives. Do you understand this? Okay. And... Uh, also, when you go to Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, 15, and 17, it says, we'll be put to prison first, then they will kill us, and then they'll make economic boycott. And you can understand that, that the sequence of, of uh, Revelation is a little bit upside down. Understand? So, of course, it starts with economic boycott, then they'll put you into prison, and finally they'll decide to kill you. Okay? So, so this, this is the, the sequence, uh, the chronological sequence. And uh, I just want to uh, to uh, help us to prepare for this. Now, Ellen White, she actually says something about preparing. And uh, this is the text that everybody there knows. And they that's why they don't do any preparation at all. And I tell you, it's because you do not understand that if Ellen White would speak in 2019, nearly 2020 now, if Ellen White would speak today, I tell you, her message will be so different. And I want to show this to you. Look what she says. The Lord has shown me repeatedly, not only one time, several times, that it is contrary to the Bible to make any provision for our temple once in the time of trouble. I saw that if the saints had food laid up by them or in the field in the time of trouble, when sword, famine, and pestilence are in the land, it would be taken from them by violent hands, and strangers, strangers would reap their fields. Then will be the time for us to trust wholly in God, and he will sustain us. I saw that our bread and water will be sure at that time, praise the Lord, and at that we shall not lack or suffer hunger. For God is able to spread a table for us in the wilderness, 
If necessary, he will send ravens to us to feed us, as he did to uh, feed Elijah, or rain manna from heaven, as he did for the Israelites. Do you understand? Everybody, we have seen this. Everybody has read this. Praise the Lord. Nutella, granola, muesli, <laughs> cornflakes, soya products. They will be served by the angels, and it will be just fine. We'll sit there in the Danish mountains, <laughs> do you understand so they have read this but when you read this text okay by the way did the bible let us just read this in Re revelation chapter 7 let's go to revelation i just have to read this to you revelation chapter 7 and let's read verse number 14. And I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of them. Can you see? What are they focusing on? The gospel. Is it? Okay. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sits on the throne shall dwell with among, uh, among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor, uh, on a, nor any heat. Can you see that that it seems to contradict what Ellen White says, doesn't it? It is not true that we will not suffer hunger. So what is he speaking about? He's speaking about hoarding food. Understand? Because I had to show you another uh, quote from Ellen White. Look what she says here. Again and again. Okay. <laughs> Do you see something similar to the previous? So this is repeatedly said. The Lord has instructed that our people are to take their families away from the cities into the country where they can raise their own provisions. For in the future, the problem of buying and selling will be a very serious one. We should now begin to heed the instruction given us over and over again. Get out of the cities into the rural districts where the houses are not crowded closely together and where you will be free from the interference of enemies. Amen. <laughs> yeah, we do that. Okay, but let me tell you what I did. So I, I made a, a, a search in Ellen, the writings of Ellen White because when you have seemingly two contradictions, also with the Bible here, you have to find out what she actually says. Yes? But could it be this one talked about uh, the buying and selling type little yes trouble. and that's and the other one yeah seems to, to that's exactly what i found from found that uh, when it comes to the door of mercy when the door of mercy closes it's it's she's always speaking about feeding us here always but here she is not and this is clearly speaking about this period and not this period do you understand mm. so so and I, I could show you a lot of text but you can just read um the, the chapter time of trouble and then just sit with your uh, little uh, chart and then put in these time tables and you say the sun law starts here and here you have the door of mercy is closed and then you just uh, read the text the, the, the quotes from Ellen White very carefully and you will see very clearly that, that she speaks about that we will not have we will have help from the Lord here of course also but especially here we need a special help I tell you otherwise we'll die yes um, these verses that we read in chapter 7, isn't that after the 
this this is of course after they are saved, but this is referring back to the period they had in the time of trouble, that they should not uh, thirst anymore, they should not uh, this and that anymore. So they had done it before. Oh, yeah. So that's the idea. Okay. So so this is, was my conclusion, and you you can go and search for yourself if you do not see this uh, conclusion coming forwards to you also. Okay, but let me tell you why Ellen White she speaks like she did in the other quote here. Can you see what this is? How can you see that so quickly? For me, it took a long time. <laughs> so how how what does it show you that it's a fridge? A refrigerator. Okay. It looks like a dead one oh, when it was a child. <laughs> okay. It doesn't say Norway here. Okay, do you know when the first refrigerator was invented? Right. 1920. This this is true. This is when they they invented Freon, and uh, uh, but before that they used gas. That is true. Uh, it is actually before this time. It was quite long ago, but the the time when it really became uh, that they could uh, start to make some kind of uh, refrigerator that people could use in their home was around 1927, okay? When did Ellen White die? 1915, okay. Do you understand, how did God, how did people at the, in the time of Ellen White have food in the winter? Pardon? They, they, they canned it, yes, yes. I'm sorry, I, it's not because I don't want to listen to what you say, but I have my, uh, what, what do you call it in English? <laughs> anyway, my my ear, this ear doesn't work at all, so uh, that's why I and this hardly works. <laughs> this is one I turn to my. No, no. Maybe <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. So she's trying to describe how you are keeping your your vegetables. Can you understand? Have Have you tried to be without a refrigerator for a few days? Yeah. Have you tried this? It's really bad, you know. And it's so hard to keep anything in the middle of the summer and, and all kinds of things. So can you imagine, in, in the time of Ellen White, when she was dying and she was dead, you know, they didn't have any refrigerator. So everybody, they were used to take care of their own land and they had their vegetables and they could not go down to the grocery shop every moment and then buy all kinds of things like we do. You know, if if the buying and selling will come like this, we will all die of hunger in uh, three or four weeks. You, you see? So, so we are totally in the hands of the devil. Do you understand this? I just want to, to have you think this through. That if Ellen White was living today, do you think... If she saw that Adventists, they didn't have a garden, they were living in flats in the middle of the town, up on the tenth floor, and uh, do you think, do you think that maybe she would consider to get a vision from the Lord, <laughs> or that God, the Lord, she will, He will give her another kind of visions and tell her a little bit more about practical preparation? Do you think so? I tell you, you, you cannot imagine how unprepared we are for this time. We're totally, uh, here I think we're very unprepared, but this time we are totally unprepared. If we had the second world war now, so many of us would die of hunger. 
I tell you. We would not know how to survive. Okay, so after I understood this, I began to think, well, so if we have no conflicts coming here, but first here, how long is this period? Ooh, we better get to this period as quickly as possible <laughs> for the conflicts to come and the man and all these other things. Do you understand? So, so that's why this other quote from Ellen White is totally, totally realistic. So, yeah. Anyway, Ellen White, she repeats again and again, let's get out of the cities, let's get out of the cities, let's get out of the cities. And you, you find the same thing in the Bible, in Zechariah, out of the cities, uh, in, the, in Matthew 24, out of the cities. And that's uh, the, the people that get, got out of the cities that, that survived. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.